0: Welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 223rd episode, our guest is Dan Grossman. Dan Grossman is an adjunct professor of English at Marion University in Indianapolis and a former Peace Corps volunteer in Niger from 1992 to 1994. He has published often in Nouveau, a news publication covering the central Indiana area. He has also served as managing editor and arts editor for that publication. He has also published poetry in So It Goes, Plop Blop, The Indianapolis Anthology, and in many other publications. Currently, he edits the online blog IndieCorrespondent.org. You can find his book, Fucking Roundabouts of Carmel, Indiana, on his author spotlight page at h ttps colon forward slash forward slash www dot lulu that's l u l u dot com forward slash spotlight forward slash dan grossman and now on to the show so how you been man it's been a long time since i talked to you
1: it has been a long time yeah i've been uh doing well um my daughter's in college oh my gosh. Wow! Yeah. yeah, so that's that's something that um, it's an ongoing thing. And Congratulations! Yeah, I, I thought, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, she's really happy. She's a, um, a freshman in graphic design. She's in, enrolled in the art school, and she's got all these internships. Cool. It's pretty amazing that what she's been able to uh, get as far as internships. So I, I'm really happy for her. Excellent. Excellent.
0: Um, But for people that don't know who you are, obviously we've known each other for a couple of years now. But uh, for people that uh, don't know who you are, who are listening to the podcast today, uh, let them know who you are.
1: Right. I am Dan Grossman. I am a former arts editor at Nouveau, and that's where we met Rob. And Mm -hmm. also I, I was managing editor for a year um, at Nugo and then I left to uh, run my own blog, IndieCorrespondent.org, is the mm-hmm. name of the blog. And so I've been in Indianapolis, uh, most of my life, actually, or actually, mm-hmm. I should say, Carmel, but really, it's all one megapolis, really. Um, despite <laughs> what some of my friends say. You know, it's like 96th Street to them is like this, you know, Great Wall of China or something, and really, it's not. (laughs) um, So, yeah, I grew up here, um, and I spent uh, two years in East Corps in Niger, West Africa. I got a couple of degrees master's degrees at IUPUI, a uh, master's in nonprofit management, and a master's in uh, English, which I just completed in 2001 while working as a uh, research assistant at the IUPUI Arts and Humanities Institute. Yeah. Well, I just thought it was important
0: to get a little bit of your background for the purposes of this book just because it does uh your background and obviously a lot of this is is uh, ripped from your <laughs> from your own life as as much art is <laughs> yeah, um right right but uh yeah tell them what, tell' them what the name of your book is I love it
1: the mind fucking roundabouts of Carmel Indiana.
0: Very topical. And, you know, in Carmel, Indiana, for people that don't know, more roundabouts in Hamilton County, where we both live, than any other county per capita in the United States. And that's because Carmel, Indiana loves roundabouts. They really, really do. <laughs> do. <laughs> yeah. But sure. um, definitely. Do you mind if I ask you to read some of your poems from your book? Is that OK?
2: Not at all. Yeah. That, that OK. Be
0: um, I have a couple of requests, but if you have any that call out to you you know, feel free to throw those out there as well. But but yeah, I think that title track, <laughs> I think I think that would be, I mean, you kicked the book off the same way. So I think that might be a good place to start.
1: Sure. So the title poem is Mind-Fucking Roundabouts of Carmel, Indiana. I'm driving my daughter around the roundabout. First of near US 31 in Old Meridian, Interchange. I'm telling her about the first black hole ever photographed, 55 million light years away from Earth. In the center of that black hole, wider than our solar system, is a singularity, infinitely dense and infinitely small. But the singularity at the center of the round of this roundabout is the pull of regret, and it pulls me in through a wormhole into an alternate universe where instead of working in a bookstore for a decade after my Peace Corps service, I win a fellowship to study Arabic at Cairo University. Immediately after graduation, I'm hired by the Cairo Bureau at the New York Times. I report from all over the Middle East. During the Iraq War, I have two close calls with IEDs. The second improvised explosive lands me in the hospital with a con- with a concussion. I fall in love with the nurse, Sasha Salim. Sasha is Kabbalah, Kink, and Early Madonna. We marry and buy a flat in London. Against the advice of our Kabbalah Center rabbi, I accept an assignment in Syria just after discovering that Sasha is pregnant with twins. Stationed in Damascus, I score two interviews, arranged by my bodyguard with commanders in the Syrian opposition. Resulting features make the front page, but the third interview that he arranges isn't with the rebels, like he says. It's with Ike. They put me in an orange jumpsuit in front of a green screen. My rabbi's advice is ringing in my ears as my head spurting arterial blood, is severed from my body. Just as the lights fade, I make the third turn-off onto Old Meridian Street. You fly by St. Vincent's Hospital at a wicked death. It occurs to me, as my daughter shoots me a startled glance, that I live a pretty good life.
0: (laughs) <laughs> it's 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 a really uh, yeah I like how you take something uh, kind of concrete and we, we're off to the races <laughs> pretty quickly <laughs> often, yeah, often. I, it,
1: yeah it concrete I I think that that's a, a good word Rob because mm-hmm. I, I think I was trying to make I mean I I don't know I'm if I was thinking this as I was writing it but. Uh-huh. As I put this collection together, my idea was to try to make the familiar strange um, because that poem certainly seemed to do that. And even the cover photo where I photograph a roundabout with the sun shining on it um, and, this empty roundabout and the sun's so bright, um, I, I, I think that was an attempt to make the familiar strange
0: as well. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And uh, it's
0: interesting because I first kind of met you. I I didn't really know you were a poet when I first met you. I, of course, just thought of you as a, a journalist. And uh, if, if anyone ever wants to check out your website, well, can you ever give your website again. Let's plug that for sure.
1: Yeah. indiecorrespondent.org. And dot org. And so. He, uh, writing yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: like, he just had a great interview uh, on there uh, that you should definitely check out if you're uh, into music at all. Tell them about that one. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, right. With Tony Levin, Mm -hmm. um, uh, whose bass lines are so distinct on songs like Sledgehammer, um, Peter Gabriel songs, I should say, um, and uh, Shock the Monkey, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Red Rain. Uh, Particularly Shock the Monkey for me was, I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember the first time I heard that song when it was released, I think, in 1982. It was it was not like nothing else on the radio. It was. Mm-hmm. It had this one repeating groove. Um, and it was so different from the guitar oriented rock. Right, right. Three bars of singing in the one bar. Uh, I don't, don't know if I'm describing this well musically of like some, you know, insane guitar solo that it was so common. It was just completely different from that. And, um, so, so the the bass stood out on that track, but
2: mm-hmm. he,
1: uh, Tony Levin is not just a rock bassist. He's a, a jazz bassist. He um he, he collaborates with his brother Pete, and they are actually going to be at the Irving. They're going to be on at the Irving on uh, September seventeenth as a jazz band. Um, oh wow! So he, he's a mm-hmm. wonderful. Wonderful musician and he's so modest in, in a way i mean he his goal is to do what the artist wants um mm-hmm. and he finds freedom within that those restrictions um to sometimes you know step out into the light when you can because the basic bass is seen mostly as kind of like the supporting role in in american rock but mm-hmm. but with Peter Gabriel, he was able to step out. Um, sometimes he's able to do that. Sometimes not like definitely not when he's like, you know, helping like playing along with Eddie Van Halen. No no real room to like step out with a bass solo there. You know?
0: <laughs> cool. Cool. Anyway, where I was going with that was that I know you to be an excellent journalist, but uh, I, I discovered later uh, that you were also a poet. And reading this book, it's interesting because you do have a lot of factual things. That could just as well be straight journalism if they were written in a slightly different way. But like you start, I mean, you go off into some, you know, some other places with it, but a lot of it is very, you know, fact-based. I'm thinking of a a history of the Reformed Jews of Indianapolis piece, for example. You know what I mean? Like that's is that a real story?
1: I mean, there there are real elements to that, definitely. Yeah. And I, I guess it's just how, you know, growing up in a secular city, mm-hmm. I, I think it's really hard. To see a, a religion that was really based for about a thousand years around the shtetl, uh, the, the, the 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 Jewish communities in uh, Ukraine, mm.
2: you know,
1: and 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 what and Poland. And Russia, an area that was vast and was and constantly uh shifted in forms of territorial boundaries. Uh, like my, for example, my grandmother, my grandmother grew up in town uh, Poland, and 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 then my uh, that's on my father's side, and on my mother's side, um, they uh, there's a large contingent of family that grew up very close or. were from around Kiev in Ukraine, so um, a lot of that's where both on my mother's side and my father's side our our families originated. So I guess where I'm going with that, it's just hard that connection to Judaism with. the influence of American culture. Like when I was going to Hebrew school, I, I couldn't keep my mind on learning Hebrew because my mind was filled with Star Wars.
2: That—that
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> that was all I thought about it, you know, because see, I, Star Wars was the first movie I saw in a the theater, and you know, I—that I, was really cool to me. Uh, being stuck in Hebrew school was not cool. To me. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, later I. I, I certainly appreciate I, I i i studied hebrew but you know a ten, for a 10 year old boy it's just not not it so mm-hmm. that's kind of what the poem's about i think maybe
0: right yeah it's just an interesting little tidbit about the rabbi and uh abraham lincoln's train and stuff i just thought that yeah. was interesting i didn't know that um but yeah talk about your time in the peace corps as well Uh oh, yeah. i think I think that definitely figures into your writing for sure, and you, you've written another book, am I right, about that experience? I wrote
1: a book that's current. I'm rewriting parts of it. It's called Rogue Elephants, a novel. A piece of like this, I, this book of poetry, I, I should publish it myself on Lulu, which is a self-publication website. acting as my own editor and uh, designer and stuff. But anyway, uh, yeah, I spent two years in Niger, West Africa um north of Algeria, south of uh no north of Nigeria south, south of Algeria. And uh that figures into the collection uh there's a piece called Passover in Malbaza um where there's this Al figure who's made the Al Haji figure who's made the the uh Pilgrimage to Mecca, and he's sitting at a Passover table with uh, the Elijah, who Jews historically leave the, a seat open for Elijah at the Passover table. So he, I, I imagine him as some kind of ghost trying to convince Al-Haji that you know he should maybe be more open about certain things. Um, and I actually sat with at a Passover table with a function a Nigerian functionary who was a little bit uncomfortable at a Passover table in Niger in Malbaza, which is the home of Niger's only cement factory, and a hot, a, this guy, this functionary, was kind of uncomfortable with the situation and the fact that wine was being uh, consumed because he's Muslim. Um, mm. so He he made a joke saying that it's blood water, and that really offended—it didn't offend me. I I, I saw that he was just a little bit uncomfortable, but it really offended uh, one of the the Jewish volunteers I served with, and I told her to kind of get a grip, because, you know, come on, the guy came and sat with us and ate ate food with us and, you know, communed with us. So that's what that particular poem is about. Uh, Uh, Mm -hmm. and and then I have a poem I think this one's a good one to read because uh, it's kind of this discombobulation of of coming home to America after Peace Corps um, which was something that I dealt with and it was very difficult for me do you want me to read that or?
0: Which, what page is
1: that? Uh, that is page
0: 15 back home in Indiana
1: yeah. Okay. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Back home in Indiana. Dream number one. I was back in Peace Corps training in an unknown Mideast country where all of the trainees were pushing 50, sucking at the tit of the Global South as if it was a fountain of youth. The turbaned Peace Corps trainer said, in this country, you need to get by without maps, but there is wireless number two. I lost my way again. I was at a drug dealer's ranch in the Sierra Madre Occidental, where the guidebooks tell you, don't even think about going. I was given both an AR-15 and an AK for self-defense, but the latter went off like a spray hose when I picked it up, and one of the bullets hit my lover in the teeth while she was sleeping in the next room. Cannabis George was kind enough to airlift her to Cornell Medical Center in Manhattan, where I was born and Andy Warhol died. And during her surgery, I toured the apartment building where I spent my first five years. I was climbing the stairway towards my parents' old apartment on the 29th floor when when the alarm went off. Pop cop dragged me in handcuffs down to the office in which Don Henley, sporting his 70s afro, quoted himself. He said, don't look back. You can never look back. And while the cop read me my rights, I thought to myself, that's just one way of saying you can never go home again. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Don Henley doesn't sue
0: me for that. I hope not. <laughs> I don't know how litigious he is. No pretty...
1: We'll never see it, but you know. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, these days, I think you can be sued for uh, anything. Sure, absolutely.
0: I can try. <laughs> um, now, I do find it interesting that you um, you you aren't afraid to write about people in your life, uh, uh, including uh, your daughter, you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, how do how does your daughter feel about what you write about her? <laughs> I, I, I'm always afraid to write about people in my life. I always I am. Know, like, <laughs> I I've, I've stepped on it, some feelings in my time. I'm sure you. I'm sure you have. to. Yeah, I,
1: <laughs> I, I think she's okay with it because I never describe her like in really negative situations.
0: Oh no, I, you don't make her look yeah. bad or anything. You just you're describing. You know, you're describing it all. You know, you're stepping up yeah, to the book. I,
1: point. <laughs> I, I know. and 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 that mine effing poem, like she she looked up her name one time. And oh no! That poem. but I, you know it hasn't prevented her from. Okay. Uh, a student. Thank God.
0: But, great. Yeah, I'm
1: great. I'm really grateful for her for mm-hmm. allowing me to follow my muse.
0: Definitely, but um, yeah, the one poem I wanted uh, you to read about. Uh, that you mentioned her in that I thought was kind of poignant was the, uh, well, uh, we recently had on the uh, podcast uh, Melissa Merz who wrote a oral history of Richard Linklater's uh, Dazed and Confused. And so we went through all the Richard Linklater movies on that episode. So if you'd read that uh, in time one, I think that'd be appropriate.
1: And I'm I'm trying to figure
0: it's a page 28
1: in time. I'm sitting with my daughter Naomi in the kitchen, explaining the plot of the Richard Linklater film *Boyhood* and how its scenes were filmed as much as twelve years apart. So you follow the boy actor as he grows up. Still dark outside, but it's almost time for me to walk Naomi bus from Carmel Middle School. I blink. Now we're in my car. At Cool Freak Park, I'm explaining link letters before trilogy. as we wait for the photographer who will take Naomi's senior photos. In time, she'll find out why these films being so true to me. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's an excellent reading of his work because I feel like that is the ultimate kind of obsession he has through all his movies is the passage of time.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And um, I think that's something I was kind of, I, I was thinking of Linkletter. I While writing this book, I mean, not all the time, but, uh, all the time, but <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've always been influenced by his, Movie, particularly the what the, the fourth trilogy. I, I really love that, starring Julie really uh, Delphi and Ethan Hawke, and mm-hmm. and just how the way uh, time speeds up as you grow older. Um, and I, I think everybody who's past a certain age notices this: is that you know your first twenty years it just seems like forever, but then things start mm-hmm. speeding up like the first part of your life is like you're going up on a roller coaster. <laughs> 25 and oh yeah
0: the passage of time is yeah, absolutely speeding up for me
1: yeah definitely but i think it's it's the fact that you know when you're 10 years old you you think gosh like five years ago seems like forever but you really have nothing to compare it to <laughs>
0: Yeah, you just—you so, seem like you're an end, endless sea of—you t- got nothing but
1: time, you know. <laughs> right, right. So, I, so throughout this book, I think, you know, it, the book jumps back in and forth in time. I have poems where I, I that I've written, like when I was back, like I just graduated college. Um, like I have a a poem about uh working as an assistant ranger an assistant ranger at uh, Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore and going out on a boat, on a patrol boat, and that's based on reality. Um, So, and and, and then it jumps forward in time, backwards in time. Uh, So that's a big
0: thing in the book, I think. Definitely, yeah. Yeah switching gears a little bit but in the current time speaking i mean if we're speaking about the time and it's right now you do have several references to the war in ukraine and yeah. uh yeah i did uh i did enjoy um let's see which one was it yeah <laughs> um i would you read uh, it's on the next page uh generation z
2: oh yeah 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 right
1: <laughs> um 29 okay. Yeah. Another film. <laughs> Generation Z. I watched as the thug in the Casa Bravas I'm sorry. I watched as the thug in the Casa Bravas film Z. Those the pacifist deputy, the blow the skull while I'm waiting a student essay. Nate Poe made to do it, according to the student. Dainco caused the sea painted tanks to make hamburger of the children in the Mariupol apartment blocks. In the film, the police hired the bugs to snuff out the, quote, mildew of the mind, end quote, and the, quote, isms, end quote, like critical race theory in the same way Putin ordered the Z-painted tanks into action. What goes around comes around as he gets his amen chorus at Fox News hard or wet by threatening nuclear ejaculation. I write, we are all handcuffed to history, end quote, on the paper and phone my college-bound daughter Hoping her generation isn't the last, just wanting to hear. Her.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's poignant as well. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I like uh, I like what you wrote in the students' paper. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: well, that's kind of. Some sometimes a mat you know poetic license, you know, <laughs>
0: sure, oh of course, yeah, <laughs> it's poetry it's not uh, not journalism, <laughs> <It's> not journalism. <laughs> let's put that to the side um, one thing I do think that's very funny is uh this one about Tom Petty because uh, I've heard this. <laughs> yeah. Living in Indiana, you hear this so much about the fact that this Mary Jane's Last Dance is is based on some experiences in Indianapolis. I mean, I heard this growing up in Mitchell, for goodness sakes, you know, like in Southern Indiana. I heard that. So, like, tell uh, or I guess you could just read it, or you could just kind of tell, like, because it's a thing, like that people are like, oh yeah, it's like he was here and he did this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we we had we have a mutual acquaintance was fairly uh-huh. with, uh, sure. Tom Petty. <laughs>
0: and I love Tom Petty as much as anybody, but not as well not as much as anybody. Apparently, some people love them more. But <laughs> <laughs> right, I love I love him a lot. But yeah, some people go the extra mile. <laughs> all, all gave all gave some, but some gave all. <laughs> as Billy Ray Cyrus so eloquently put it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, before or after he was in the David Lynch movie.
0: Oh, what David Lynch movie was he in?
1: Was he in uh, the uh, Mulholland Drive is like the. Oh, was he? As uh, like the 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 love interest that like he he was in bed with. Uh, hmm. his wife I, don't know. I don't know. I think it's called the virus, but I'm not. Sure.
0: Huh? I don't know. Being
1: distracted. I, okay. That's <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, Petty. Joe and I Yes, were... Tom Petty. <laughs> okay. Joe and I were seated at the bar in the Red Key when he started talking about Tom Petty. I met him after he performed at Market Square Arena. He said it was the fall of 89. He was chilling in a hotel suite on the highest floor overlooking Market Square. Entourage had pulled chairs into a circle around him. Everyone was having a good time laughing. He took a sip of the sun came. So, he says, the bassist Howie Epstein pulls out the biggest doobie I ever saw and starts passing it around, Joe continued, I have a poke myself, and it's not bad at all. Who's your skunk, you know? But then, when it gets to Petty, he takes it and rolls it around, looking at it, giving it his classic smile. You know, the one where you see all his teeth. And then he looks up at Epstein and says, where did you get this? And Epstein says, I got it back at the steakhouse. The waiter brought it to me with a shrimp cocktail. And Petty goes, "Oh shit. And still looking at it, rolling the damn thing in his hands, he says, Looks like my band wants me to have one last dance with Mary Jane. Then he takes a long inhale, closes his eyes, and smiles. Joe looked up at me, waiting for my response, while I was thinking of the song lyric, which notes the pigeons in Market Square and a woman in her underwear. Then I asked Joe, so, uh, you were there when, uh, had he got his inspiration for that song? No shit. Not it. But our bartender was giving serious cut-eye to Joe. <laughs> that must have been a big hotel room he flipped. I've heard that story a hundred times from a hundred different people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's everybody was in the room <laughs> where, where <Yeah>. it happened. <laughs> yeah. But that's really funny. Um, but yeah, was there any other... Uh, I, I haven't finished the book yet, but is there any other uh, other ones a little later in the book that, that you wanted to, to highlight?
1: Yeah, I'll read one of the love poems. What page? Uh, 56.
0: King of Antarctica?
1: Oh, no, no, no. Uh, before nope. the Deluge. 57. Okay, yeah. Before the Deluge. Tonight I'll be Martin, and you'll be Hannah. Together we'll close the door on the Weimar. We'll break out of the world of the they and abandon ourselves to the desire. I'll duck step my way to your bed to throw off my brown shirt. My heart will skip six beats to your refrain of Ich. Is there enough Libas between us, between my German and your Yiddish? Will oh, the time horizon open itself to us. These questions I click and send your way while you and your parents' house lay down to bed. Your absence inspires me to complete being and time in the silence of night. Will you at sunrise say hello or off either same to my dreams in which more than tongues pass between us? Don't just text me. Your answer over morning coffee. Open your Dasein in response. Yes, my devotion to you is totalitarian. I want to strip your defenses down to your rootless being. Will you follow me, my love, into the Vaterland? <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's that's some vivid imagery right there. You got some real Germanic themes.
1: <laughs> I do, and I, I might want to explain a little bit about that poem. I didn't uh-huh. want to explain it at the beginning. Yeah. Uh but it uh the philosopher uh Martin Heidegger, who became a Nazi I uh, think in nineteen thirty three, he had uh this affair with his student Hannah Arendt, who wrote... The, oh, yes. Uh, the wrote, the words, wrote, Origins of... Yeah. Authoritarianism, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, and she also covered the Eichmann trial in Jerusalem. Uh, oh, wow. A, controversial, a book where she seemed to equate uh, the Jewish collaborators who had no choice but to collaborate with the Nazis, with the, the actual Nazis themselves. And... Some commentators thought, well, she was just trying to make excuses for her former lover, I think. Um, and, yeah, they did have a passion with the bear and hmm. and she did defend him after the war and help rehabilitate uh, Heidegger after the war. So I that that was one of the the weirder um, <laughs> love poems that I have in the volume. <laughs> and yeah the, I guess the, the there are a number of love poems that become more and more deranged until I, I think the the narrator takes a trip to Israel and uh, has certain notions of uh, nationalism thrust in his face hmm. and, uh, maybe makes him change his point of view just a little bit so mm-hmm. I guess the point is that it's, it's hard to uh, untangle uh, sex and love from nationalism. Hmm. Cause I, I think, I, I think those things are somehow interlinked. I mean, love of country, you know, love of a woman or love.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, those things are very intimately linked uh, and, and to a, Horribly so, sometimes. I mean, why does rape happen so often Mm. Or, for example? Mm. So that's not a question I directly respond, but, um, (laughs) not purposely,
2: anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah,
1: there are some very, there are some uh, poems that are liable to offend people. I could read one of the, uh, Israeli poems, if you want. Um, sure. Or part part of one. Uh, yeah, this is one called Israel Travelogue, and uh, the the character in it, acting kind of like a tour guide, kind of like a Virgil to Dante in Hell, is. Uh, the philosopher, the medieval philosopher, Maimonides. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, and he was a, a Middle Eastern, uh, he was a, a Jewish philosopher who lived in Spain, I think, around the 13th century. And he tried to combine like notions of rationalism, Aristotelian rationalism, with Judaism, and, and try to show that. Judaism was equally equally rational, Um, but he was also a physician too. Really interesting figure, Um, and he had a book called uh, "The A Guide for the uh, Perplexed." I think that was it. Hmm. I tried reading that one. It's it's very very long and very very boring. I found, but anyway, this is I, I gleaned something from it. I think. So, mm-hmm. anyway, this is called Israel Travelog, and I have traveled in Israel. Israel Travelog, cities. It's a Shabbat summer day in Tel Aviv. The sky's cloudless, and the beach is crowded with Jewish flesh. That's difficult to ignore. My friend, Maimonides is pissed. The testes, he says do much to distract a man from contemplation. I reply, it depends on what you're contemplating. On the ramparts above Jerusalem's old city, the philosopher and I pause for a breather. We're overlooking the Damascus Gate. The multi-tongued babble below sounds like counterpoint for a philip Glass symphony. The mechem sin flows says "Memonides, and the sun, and thus smites the Jerusalem sun. I recall the filthy Cairo streets. In Beersheba, we eat burgers at a mall near the old Bedouin market. The food court's TVs lean like an adolescent's tea. A drop-dead flight attendant, against a Parisian backdrop, fills the screen with an L Al adverb. Later, at the old market, the smell of rotting fruit makes me yearn for Africa. Everyone here is dreaming of somewhere else.
0: Tell me about uh, Israel, though. I've never been there. Well, when did you um, go?
1: Yeah, I've been there twice. I, I was there once right after Peace Corps uh, kind of just touring around the country and I, I, I was with a friend and we stayed with uh, people he knew and it, it struck me how small that country is um, and and uh, yeah, we saw the The borders of uh, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and it's just nothing like the States. If you look uh, at the mountain range, you know, on the horizon, you know that's not in Israel. It was just a very strange feeling growing up in the States Mm. and going to Israel and and seeing how tiny it is. Um, And then... uh, and this was in 1994, my first time, when uh, the, uh, the Oslo Accords had just been signed. And there was a little bit of hope that you know the Palestinians and the Israelis might coexist. Um, just a little bit of hope. Um, but then, a year later, uh, Rabin was assassinated. So. Mm-hmm. And then, 2003, when I visited uh, with my former wife, uh, was still liberal. Um, but we uh, visited Russia, uh, her uh, hometown of Chirpurvyets, and then we visited her mom, who's in Israel. Um, so we went from the largest country in the world to one of the smallest, and that fosforphobia mm-hmm. just compounded because even like the people are spaced out in, in, in Russia. And, you know, people have, like, a sense of distance, like, when you're talking to them. And, mm. you know, and everything's spacious and, and sparse everywhere. And, and then you go to Israel, and everybody's crowded together on the beach, and people are yelling in your face. Um, and it, it was a difficult time in Israel because there, there were a lot of bus bombs that had just been exploded, and everybody was angry at each other. Um, and... Uh, And her mom lived near Haifa, and I I met my sole surviving relatives of my grandmother on my father's side when we were there, and it wasn't a particularly pleasant uh, meeting. I and uh, so we, I I described like the situation of my uh, Taya. my former wife to my, my relatives and, and that basically my, my long and short of it is Katya's mom is not, uh, Jewish in, in the sense that American Jews would consider her Jewish, um, or Israeli Jews would consider her Jewish, but nevertheless, she was able to come to, uh, Israel, um, in 1991. Mm-hmm. and or you know, i what's it, I'm going down 96 but and so i was describing this to my relatives who uh, apparently are very right-wing and um the 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 patriarch of the family nods his head and says Mala which in hebrew means what to do like, like, what? <laughs> like what what do we do with these russians <laughs> That's how I, mean. I thought what he was saying. So wow. it, was, it was like, I, I don't, well, of course, he didn't think I understood it in Hebrew. So, uh, wow. <laughs> so that, that was an interesting moment.
0: But. Yes, definitely. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, I mean, this is great. I, I don't want to make you read the entire uh, book. People should definitely go out and buy it. Uh, where can they get it?
1: Uh, they can go to lulu.com. Uh, the bookstore on lulu.com uh, or they could just uh, they can find it on barnesandnoble.com as an ebook. Uh, I think that probably the easiest way, way to do that is just to put in the title into a search engine and it, it, it'll come up in various guises so whether you want an ebook or if you want the, the hard copy um, the softback Paperback,
0: I should say. Mhm. Well, great, definitely, and it's very entertaining. I'm not just saying that because uh, I like you and you know, I'm your friend, but <laughs> I I think it's like it's good. I can heartily recommend it just as uh, good writing. So I, I think everyone should check check it out for sure. So, um, but w- yeah, one thing I always ask uh, here at the end is, uh, what music have you been listening to lately?
1: Oh. Good grief! I've been uh, there's this French woman singer, Leo. I've been listening a lot to her. Um, I I've been listening to a lot of some of the people, believe it or not, in uh, Tony uh, Levin's orbit, like Shankar, who's plays a double, he's a Indian musician, plays a double violin. I, I, I do listen to a lot of like sitar music, like Ravi Shankar, and um, uh, just spanning the spectrum. Really, there's a, a a song that I really I just discovered this uh, piece, this instrumental by the Paul Butterfield Blues Band called East West. Hmm. That um, it's basically kind of a a, a blues raga of sorts. It, it's just wild. And, uh, I, I haven't been listening to any, uh, Jim Ursay. he just had a concert at, uh, uh, with all of his friends, like John Hyatt.
0: What? um, (laughs) When
2: was,
1: did you hear about this? Like uh, I vaguely, but like, so is he
0: he like a singer or or was he, does he play guitar? I know he owns a lot of guitars, doesn't he?
1: Well, yeah, he had his, uh, And you can read about this, by the way. I have an article in in Ah. indiecorrespondent.org about what went down uh, last Friday night when Jim Mersey took to the stage with people like John, well, John Hyde, like I mentioned, but also um, Mike Mills of REM, uh, and like John Mellencamp's drummer, a lot of great musicians. So when when Jim Ursay himself wasn't on the stage, it usually sounded pretty good. But when he got on stage, his uh his voice, which is kind of a combination of uh Cookie Monster and Tom Waits, didn't really <laughs> suit the material, which believe it or not, was like uh nine inch nails hurt. He's he's tried to sing that. Wow. Yeah, it, it was awful. <laughs> You can't imagine how bad hurt was. It, it hurt. It was so horrible. And, and I guess the audience was okay with that because a- after that penultimate set, John Mellencamp came out and everybody like sang along to the "Ballad of Jack and Diane." So I guess right. That, but Ursay's doing this tour with his collection. His collection of uh, instruments and uh, memorabilia that um, you mentioned, but also with this collection of musicians, um, and now he's—I think he's angling for. There's a good article, by the way, in Indianapolis, in, in Indianapolis Magazine about this, where he's trying. Apparently, he's trying to uh, get another. Uh, at least, according to Indianapolis Magazine, I I, I don't want to make this play myself, so I don't get sued. Um, <laughs> but he, he's apparently, according to the magazine, he's trying to get a city to host his museum idea, where the city would pay for uh, this big museum to house his collection. And one of the cities that can he's giving the opportunity to do this to is Indianapolis, which has spent what 750 million already of taxpayer money on Lucas Oil, and that still hasn't been paid back. Mm. So, so, he's doing this 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 thing, buddy-buddy um, with these great musicians, but, you know, sticking it to the taxpayer. According to Indianapolis, mag- Indianapolis <laughs> Monthly magazine.
0: Allegedly. <laughs> <so> allegedly. <laughs> Don't forget the allegedly.
1: <laughs> absolutely. You no, know, I never want... Make this claim without good sourcing? Absolutely not. No. (laughs) (laughs) What
0: kind of journalists would we be? (laughs) Um, Bad one. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) But uh, hey, thanks for coming by. It's been a lot of fun. It's been uh, overdue. Yeah. Let's.
1: I've been meaning to check out your other podcasts as well.
0: Um, Cool. Yeah. Please do. And yeah, please come back. Yeah. For sure. So much. I really
1: appreciate
0: the opportunity. Cool. Well, uh have a good rest of your night here and I'll talk to you soon.
1: You too. Take care. Bro. All right. Bye.